Muhammad, Mo, you ready? Yes. All right, Ty, you ready? Yeah, let's party. All right, let's have some fun. <laughs> Timeout. Tyler, who the heck are we taking the time out with today? <laughs> Kevin, good to see you again, brother. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we have Mohammed Ahmed, the CEO and Chief Diversity Officer of EDI, which stands for Engaging Diversity and Inclusion. Mo, thanks for being on the show, man. And I'm going to hit it right off the bat, dude. I saw that you're a motivational speaker. Can you drop some motivation on Kevin and I right now? <laughs> Thank you so much. Such a pleasure. I wish I could match this energy here. You know, I, I love it. And I love the work you do. I think uh, it's all about focus and, and allowing yourself to sometimes stay out of focus. So for the two of you, for all the work you're doing, how many, how much do you allow yourself to stay out of focus a little bit so that you can gain that rejuvenating energy that you need to do your work and have the more impact that you want to have. And then I'll say, you know, when you do that, Surround yourself with the right people, right energy, right attitude, right mindset. So, because the work you do is not easy, and and most of the time, speaking is a very uncomfortable practice for many people, quite naturally. So, being able to break through that threshold and doing it consistently and surrounding yourself with the right people is only going to amplify that energy for you to have your best impact. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Love it's that. amazing what a power nap does during the middle of the day, right? And you come back <laughs> and you're just slugging grand slams all over again, it feels yeah. like. Get <laughs> that water, get that lunch, grab <laughs> that, you know, grab that little thing, take a walk around, do something <laughs> rejuvenate. Yeah. I love that. The rejuvenation. So we always ask uh, uh, you presidents and CEOs that only Tyler and I can dream of being one day. But let's talk about your rejuvenation. Let's talk about what 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 music right now, Mo, is top of the charts for, for Mo uh, as he's driving to work, driving to a meeting. What's top of the charts right now for you? You will laugh at this. Unfortunately, none of the new ones. Um, <laughs> hey, it's old. all right. We, we still revert to the old school days. Too. What is the new ones? Yeah. What, what yeah I'm like, what, what's this? <laughs> hey, hey, I'm not with that, you know, personally. <laughs> I am with a Bob Marley, Oof. you know, specific Bob Marley albums that I love his confrontation. Um, I, I love that whole album. Uh, it's something that my late father was really in tune with and introduced me to, and I stuck with me. And specifically, uh, there's a, a, a song I was listening to yesterday that says, Who the Cap Fit, Let Them Wear It. Oh, one of my favorite songs, brother. One of my all time favorites. And so that's what gets me energized when I'm doing anything that, you know, especially requires digging deeper and thinking critically. Mo, don't you find it fascinating, though, that uh, I, I find Bob Marley and I use the word profit um, with Bob Marley uh, synonymously because uh, some of the music that he just shared and from the lyrics perspective, and it's funny that you brought this up because I was just talking about it last week. I love his song, The Revolution. Um, he talks about uh, one of his lyrics is the revelation reveals the truth. It takes a revolution to make a solution. Um, yes. And it's just so fitting of how many words that he uses within our, his songs and his music that God, going back how many years now um, and still rings true today and shows how much more work there really is to be done. And um, he just had such an elegant way of, of wording things uh, that I think brought a lot of understanding. Um, so that's awesome. I, I'm a big Bob Marley fan myself. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm humming, humming Buffalo Soldier over here. I used to warm up to that. And people would be like, dude, that song's so soft. I'm like, I don't think so, man. You, you hear these words? You know? But uh, no, I wanted to ask you, man, if uh, me, you, and Kevin were, were about to take on three people in a three-on-three 20-yard -three soccer game, man, a 20-yard field, maybe, 15 yards, it's going to be a battle, man. I need a 10. I need 10 uh, yards. I don't know. 10, uh, let's just shove it to 10. <laughs> who are we eating some humble pie with, man? Who, who, are we, who are we playing? If you could pick three people to play against, it's us three versus three other people, anyone in the world, dead or alive. Neymar. I'm going for the jugular here, ah. you know. I want to see how far I can push myself. So I'm going for <laughs> Neymar, Messi, and Cristiano. That's oh. it. <laughs> I want to oh. see how good they are in, in defending. And I want to <laughs> see how good they will be in scrappy game with us, you know, grabbing them and making them uncomfortable. That's what I'll go for. Yeah. All right. 
I don't like our chances of ever touching the ball in that match. Well, and then the three of them on the same pitch. I would love to see it. The three of them playing together and having to play, you know, with each other. I would love to see. Just to laugh. Just to get the giggles, you know. Oh, God. No one, no one that's a football fan, soccer fan here in the United States. I got to ask, because this is one of those moments that I'm sure you always replay back in your ma- uh, head. Do you, is there a match that you remember sitting on the PK line and just shelling it either in the back of the net or right over the goal? <laughs> myself yeah oh yeah I, I don't this is used to be traumatic but not anymore i look back and i laugh now so i'm i'm on empire state team in new york city I'm, I'm i'm a sophomore in high school we're playing in new jersey all the state you know all the teams across the states we playing in the finals against oh. san francisco and we this is interstate like this is Wow. Literally one of the biggest tournaments. And we're in New Jersey. We get to the finals. We play. I assist and in, in uh, us tying the game. And then we, we went ahead and then they tied. And then, so 2-2, two, two, penalty kicks. I'm third to kick, okay? <laughs> and Lots of loving, and anybody that has played with me, I love to play. I love to play with the ball. Um, I don't take things seriously. You know, when I'm, but this was serious. So the tension all of a sudden just drew in on me. Mm-hmm. I get on the line. Uh, this is probably the only penalty I was very focused on and I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> and I get on there and I hit the ball. Goalie went one direction. Ball gets to that and hits the pole. Oh, it gets better. Spins back towards the goalkeeper and stays right in front of the, the line. <laughs> Oh yeah. I dropped dead crying. I was in tears. <laughs> and I'm number three at this point, right? Yeah, that's and a big that's a big moment. Go. My coach looks at me and he's like, You always make it. <laughs> what happened? You know, everybody was like shocked. And I'm I'm just in tears. I walk oh. back to the team. He walks over. This is one of the reasons I love this man dearly. He walks over and he said, We wouldn't be here without you. Wow. So don't keep your head up. We're still in this. I want you to dig your spiritual self and get us back on track. Cause I used wow. to give pep talks to my team, you know? Wow. So he's like, I want you, if your head is, is down as a captain, everybody's head is going to be down. Yeah. I don't want to see this. And I walked out there in tears and cheering for my other teammates. <laughs> you know, um, I would never forget this. And it's always been one of those things that you, when you fall, how do you pick yourself back up? You know, uh, as an entrepreneur, these kinds of being an athlete plays a pivotal role in learning how to knowing when, when you've lost and how to pick yourself back up, being used to losing, being used to, you know, not making it after all the hard work and practice and still going and losing. What does it take to show back up in practice? What does it take to actually go play another game and suit up injuries? How do you pick yourself back up? So that was the learning as I do motivation work. Now I'm kind of picking back from these examples and I'm like, wow, how much this prepares you to kind of face the world as an athlete. I think it's just phenomenal. So that's my little secret. Um, <laughs> I knew there was a PK story in there for, from a soccer player myself. I played my whole life, and it's funny. It, 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 you're, you're, the way that you just connected those dots, almost in essence, where, where that is what you're touching on is what resilience really is. It's the ability to take loss and learn from it, and then move forward and, and, and take losses as, as learning opportunities and experiences. And I was going to ask the question, you stole it right out of my mouth to ask, like, how often do you revert back to these types of leadership opportunities? But it sounds like from what you shared that you've been a leader for quite some time. And here now you are a CEO leading the change on diversity and inclusion and really making it a fundamental pillars within organizations and institutions. And you have to have a, a little bit of grit and a little out of courage um, within that space. What would you, um, what was one of the things that you had to learn early on in your career that has made you such a prolific business owner, um, but also change and difference maker today? Ability to respect and build trust with people. um, I think goes a long way that we don't sometimes appreciate. Uh, I think intentions are, are, are everything in what you do, but how you approach people, your philosophy uh, about people is very important because for me, 
one of the things I learned very early on was from my mother, my late mother, uh, about meeting new people. And she was always say that, you know, you treat people, uh, when you first meet someone, you, you, you give them a level of trust and kind of confidence in the fact that you are safe to be around. You are someone they can trust and you are someone they can rely on. And, I, you know, I don't say that very lightly. This means a lot to me, irrespective of previous experiences where mostly for leaders, when you have bad experience, you become more guarded, you become more, you shrink. I am the opposite. Um, I will meet people and I say, you are good the way I vision you to be good until you prove me wrong and I move on, you know? Mm -hmm. So every single person I meet, I treat them fairly. I come with the same energy, with the same attitude. It's up to them to maintain what I'm giving them. I already trust you. So you don't have to worry about all that extra work and all that navigation, all these trickery things that we do to test. I don't have any of that. Uh, I come to you purely. I come to you clean. We go from there. And if it doesn't work out, we decide what you know, happens afterwards. So that has helped me a ton. Um, and you know, it, it's how, I mean, when you're, you, you, you mentioned intention and I'm a big intention person drives attention. Um, but what you've just talked about with you, if you are going in with a hidden agenda or, and you think you're going to pull one over on somebody else, um, that's so interesting because I, I always say that's manipulation. That's not relationship building. That's not networking. That's not community building. That is pure manipulation at that point. No, your energy, man. I love all this, dude. I'm over here. It's 11.51 a.m. Central Standard Time, and I'm all fired up now. I am ready for this second half of the day, man. After all right. Talk just about, just, just, and it's coming from the chest, man. I love this. You know, it's not, you're not up in your head, and it's just, it's you. Um, and where, What's your morning routine like, man? Where do you get this from? Oh, I'm a spiritual man. I get, I wake up morning. I pray every morning. So it's a re re recommendation requirement for Muslims to pray in the morning. So right now we're praying at five o'clock. So I'm up at 430. I drive to go pray. Sometimes I pray at home. I'm, so right at 515, 530, I'm starting my day. You know, I am, uh, you know, starting to do things, but I don't, actually get on a computer to work until 7 30 ish i have two hours every morning for myself for my reflective practice and contemplative practice that i do um, wow. it could be anything i have family members abroad it could be calling them checking in on them connecting it could be me doing my reflective uh you know there's this we call it this this reflective piece that you you do i sit down for 35 minutes to an hour sometimes just reading and reflecting wow. and it's it's really to set my day you know what usually before i go to bed i'm always asking and you know what, what i call a, a, a enduring question you know enduring question at night and enduring question in the morning you know what have i done today that helped achieve or promote the goals and ideals and the philosophy that i have in life did what i did affect somebody negatively was it intentional or unintentional? You know, just sleep over it. If I wake up, usually if it's negative, I'm like, how do I solve it in the morning? Mm -hmm. You know, so you think about that and then you go, you wake up. And then in the morning, it's like, you know, how am I going to work today to mm -hmm. make those things come true again? Like, how do I make it better? How do I improve mm -hmm. on those things? So it's con con you know, continuous improvement in that and so so a lot of folks that will spend time with you would say you know why are you always positive like you always and it seems like you're naive you know, i'm not naive i actually comes from reflection it comes yeah. from who i want to be and what i want to represent yeah. and when people walk away from me i want to always think about either you learn or you unlearn something that's mm -hmm. my goal um I, we either learn or we unlearn together that's mm -hmm. my always my goal so that you'll see that a lot like is he naive no no i see what's happening i know what's going on i just have a practice that grounds me enough to not fall into that chaos mm -hmm. to not fall into that you know energy you know because mm -hmm. that that's what we're dealing with right right here so we have to really get into the flow uh, mm -hmm. that allows us to be our best selves what an advantage right to condition yourself like that in the morning though geez i mean you're waking up with that that reflection that daily inventory almost i'd like to say and just cleaning house man so it, yeah. it almost gives you more energy and room 
to go forward, you know, yeah. instead of all this stuff bogging you down unconsciously, consciously, whatever you want to say. Man, I'm, I'm all about it. I, I give myself <laughs> about 10 minutes in the morning, but geez, two hours, man. I, I, I'd like to be like you, Mo. Golly. <laughs> Well, I, and I was just going to kind of touch on what, what, what you were saying is just how you set your day, you know, and then setting that intention within the day. I think it does help you focus on, on uh, your attention on different things, you know, and I, I think what you said is I wanted to ask because I'm a man of faith myself in, in various ways. And I think faith for me takes it less about the structure, right, and more about the action and, and living the words out into the community. But starting your day, I have to believe, Mo, I wanted to ask this question um, starting your day, I guess, and putting the emphasis on whoever you believe in, right? The belief in a greater power and being, how much better does that help you to realign yourself to kind of set your day or your scorecard, you will, for that particular day and keep that ego in check? Yes, I was going to say that it's a, it's one of that, one of those humbling touch points in, 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 in for me, at least. It's, it's like, hey, you wake, you woke up without your, your own will. You fell asleep. You didn't know what was happening. You just knocked out cold. And somehow <laughs> a power gave you energy to wake up again. And you have to be thankful and grateful. At first, first energy is being grateful for waking mm -hmm. up and being thankful for that opportunity to see daylight and be able to continue the mission and vision that you have for a better world, a better community, a better environment that you're operating in so that gratefulness is you know being thankful and being grateful kind of sets tone for how you treat people as well you know mm -hmm. when they give to you or not and when they're doing things you learn to be grateful you learn to be thankful regularly the other piece is the humility piece you know you you, you wake up and you're like you know i don't know what's going to happen today i have some plans i have some schedules some things but things always don't go as planned as we all know and so you know, do you have the humility when they don't go right or don't go in the direction you anticipated it to go to say, this is okay. Mm -hmm. It's just mm -hmm. part of the journey. The, you know, do I just, and then, and then it regulates me because when I'm going out, sometimes you have a terrible experience the day before or week and you're like, this is very tough this week, you know, and then you wake up every morning, kind of reset, you know, reset, you're level setting yourself and saying, you know what? That was then, today is, to, you will never get another tomorrow. You know, the, the, the time is time is of the essence. So how do I evolve myself in the moment, appreciate the moment? And and it's, I usually I find myself even in situations during the day and I'm like, who, what did you talk? What did you reflect on today? You know, mm -hmm. this is not the right time to react to this. Mm -hmm. Don't respond to this. You talked mm -hmm. about positive energy this morning. Don't go there, let, let, it, let it flow, let it go out. <laughs> right so so those are some of the metrics i think it's a very important thing to kind of really think about being thankful one humility learning to be humble and, and, and show humility in the sense of in the presence of others but even when they're not there and then and then being hopeful and being you know, trusting that things will always evolve in a direction in which in which you'll, you 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 navigate I, i'm a big um fan of quotes i live by them i you know giving speeches and stuff. i i just love them and one of them is uh, you know i think i shared this with either you or someone i was talking to a week ago or something like that and, it, and i was talking about how a tree falls in the direction it leans so it's an african proverb it says a tree falls in the direction it leans so if a tree is leaning in one direction, in one way, it's going to eventually fall in that direction. So be mindful of where you're leaning, what you lean on and how you're leaning as a person. So constantly thinking of where your energy is going. Is it really keeping you straight or is it, you know, is it leaning in the right direction? I love uh, so that. those are some of the things that I And I know the leaning is, the, again, the back to that intention. I mean, because what, what, depending on which way you lean or if you do have a hidden agenda, it always has a way of showing itself. And as you're talking, I just think of that Ali quote, another Muhammad, right? Is uh, don't count the days, make the days count. And, and that's really, I mean, starting with that humble beginnings, being thankful, being grateful, you know, and starting each day. It's almost like you're, it's, it's a, almost a rebirth, a daily rebirth, right? Yes. Is, hey, if things didn't go right yesterday, instead of prolificating on them and, and, and getting ourselves more into that negative mindset, because I Absolutely. think what you said is that we almost lose hope. And when hope is lost, it's easier to be negative than positive. 
because it's you can you can get with everybody else that's going through similar situations and i just find um that it can and you probably see it within company cultures like i do is negativity breeds more negativity and it's almost it's that snowball effect in essence but here you are being that bright shining light um being grateful and showing gratitude uh that you did wake up for that day to continue on with your personal mission statements and your vision and your values i i, I absolutely love that i was thinking thank god feelings are temporary when mo was when mo was talking i was like you know what? that's probably one of my i don't know where i heard that but i love it um, it was just kept ringing over and over in my my chest over here mo and um i was thinking about you know your favorite quotes uh, you gotta have some favorite speeches of all time though if you're if you're a motivational speaker so what what, what speech am i am i youtubing after we get off here <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> give me like two of them dude i know you got Ooh. wow which to draw from i love les brown um les brown is one of the, the just as you know if you, you see his name you will know who les brown is mm because of the way in which he draws people into the conversation. And he always contextualizes it to, to kind of um, make it human. It's not all abstract business-esque and all of these other, it's really about life, about people and how you navigate with your energy and, and, and people around you. Um, uh, someone that I cherish and respect a lot. Um, oh man, you got me. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Muhammad Ali had a, uh, a, an interview a while back that he talks about his essence in life and why he's here. Um, I forget in the title of the, it was an interview, kind of a panel kind of interview that he had. Um, and he talked about really humanity. The work that I do, I believe, is, is, is really connected hearts and minds. I truly mean it. It's not a statement. It's not just catch thing that I put on LinkedIn. I truly believe to be able to change the ethos of workplace and culture and leadership, we really have to think that our, our reasoning always affects people emotionally, our decisions as leaders, our, all the choices we make, because that's what life is about, choices, decisions and choices that we make is in, in impacting people physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And so connecting your heart and your mind when you're making, when the reasoning says do it this way and your gut is saying, nah, just maybe you have to think a little bit about what, what it is that you're doing, you know, um, where, when you know it's wrong, but you want to do it because the numbers make, make sense to do it this way, cut the wages, do, you know, be biased or be discriminatory and you know it's inhumane, but you're doing it anyway to fit some mold or to fit some mold that those are some of the things that we're trying to do, you know, when, when you're looking at some of these things. So those are the two people that I, I really love, but I love Nelson Mandela and all his work. He's a, a champion uh, of a lot of things with some things as well, but, you know, I have so many people. Uh, if you look at Marcus Garvey's statements and some speeches he gave in 18, you know, 90, 1800s, late 1800s, and some stuff that he's written. I think it's wonderful uh, in terms of understanding the dynamics of what we're dealing with in this context of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, a lot of them laid out a lot of things that, you know, is helpful right now, but I know everybody loves a lot of the dream. I have a dream speech and sure. it's all time favorite for a lot of folks and it mm -hmm. stands up there. For me, it's just how I'm, how applicable is the speech in the phase of my life right now, and so that's why I'm relating to these ones. But I have so many, many uh, leaders that I really look up to. And I think we tap into the 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 power of storytelling. You know, uh, to to Tyler's point, that emotional and, and your point, Mo, too, that emotional connection, um, the idea of progress, right? The idea of potential change and what that future vision looks like is is a, a much stronger bond than talking about the physical work that they're doing day in and day out, right? Um, they need to know that they're working towards such a, such a goal. Um, and this week, particularly, I work for an organization that gave us uh, Juneteenth off in, in an observation of the federal holiday now, which is great. I got a day off. Um, but I, I, I foresee that a lot of organizations are really saying a lot of things that they know they need to say right now to build that inclusion, that equity, and that di diversity within their organization. It's, it's, it's a lot of lipstick on a pig, right? 
Um, and I, I jokingly say this tongue in cheek, but just giving a day and observation of Juneteenth does not mean that you are all of a sudden more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. It takes a lot of work. And that work is the work that you're doing day in and day out. Um, but if you took a more negative view and, and, and focused more on the history side of it, it could seem like a, a daunting, impossible task. Um, but you taking a more positive day in and day out approach and you're always readjusting, you're always reevaluating, and you're changing your process and your way of communicating to probably bring about that progress that we all seek. One of the things I wanted to ask, as you talked about it earlier, and I, I think it's a very important part, is the learn and unlearn piece of it. In your work, now I sat through the unconscious bias training that we all went through, and it may, meant nothing to us unless we knew we had a problem to begin with. When you talk about learn and unlearn as it relates to diversity and inclusion and equity and these important fundamental pillars today in an organizational culture, mm. what are you doing to make people feel safe, right? And trust that they are in that safe space. So we can really talk about some of the, the maybe the negative side of things, things that we've taken for advantage of for quite some time, or just view as habits today. How do you do that and how do you get to the level of comfort? Because I think it's probably very similar and similarly or similar, excuse me, to what you're doing for your employees to get behind your mission there at EDI as well. Absolutely important question, Kevin. Uh, one of the biggest pieces for this work, as you were speaking, I was kind of picturing Juneteenth, Juneteenth and some of the conversations that have been happening for, for eons before we got here, mm -hmm. you know, year year and a half ago um and you know we used to say juneteenth people are like yeah we know what it is I, i've i've been in positions where you create a program for juneteenth and very few people show up and now you're seeing those same people celebrating it you know mm -hmm. <laughs> you know and oh, some of the folks that never came and never cared about it are now celebrating so it's it's a guy to a point where it's good to see action but action what happens with these big monumental decisions and and things that come into fruition is that we forget that it took a lot of small gains small steps to get to this big monumental step a monumental decision you know uh, the folks that were in the churches that were hoping and praying for this emancipation proclamation to come out, the hope that they had and the, the, the tenacity to keep asking and asking and, 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 and working towards this and chipping away at this, this mountain, you know, how do you bring an elephant down? Uh, for all those who care about animals, I'm not trying to advocate for <laughs> Uh, right? How do you bring down an elephant? Right? You 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 have to really. How do you? Those kinds of things are very important. I think that's what we miss as as we work in this space mm -hmm. to challenge folks to think about what being uncomfortable means, and what what growth means. So a lot of times I'm talking about we talk about safety. We talk psychological, either psychological safety or even physical safety. Sometimes when folks want to discuss diversity equity and inclusion matters uh in depth so you you have to think about creating a, what we call safe space great but my challenge has always been when you finish doing that safe space kind of curation then you have to think about what we call brave space that's where folks have to move to act mm -hmm. otherwise all this stays in the safe space and we disseminate and nothing happens so the 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 learning piece is to say well here is an opportunity for us to discuss here are the topics here's what we're talking about that can happen anywhere the unlearning is the un uncomfortability to know that you're going to hear different narratives mm -hmm. that the work we do with some, there's a paradigm that we call counter narratives which derek bell and others have spent spent time on this concept and what counter narratives do in a diversity work and diversity world is to provide a different picture of the national and traditional ways of doing things that has gotten us where we are right now. And what you do in that storytelling counter narrative juxtaposition is to say, here is what we know, right? And here is what truly happened. How do you get people to get uncomfortable to learn what they know 
and pick up what truly happened. What is the right narrative? What is the truest version of the conversation or the, or, or, or the topic? And that's, that's a skill, you know, I always say this, it's great to say somebody's a, you're not really, a, when you do this work, you're a facilitator. Mm-hmm. And there's a distinction between facilitation and teaching something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was looking at OD work. Uh, I was doing, I'm doing some work with a client in organization development, you know, and, and the dialogic OD work. Mm-hmm. Think of dialogic, how it really entails listening from people and using that as a consultant to inform what you do instead of you coming in with some best, some ideas and just dropping it on people, you know, and, and walking away. So most of the time, these things will not be successful because of that but there are best practices and ways in which you can engage with a crowd. So as you talk about safe space, and we know in the DEI work, Maslow, you know, psych- mm-hmm. is a logical needs. You need to meet some needs that mm-hmm. make people physically feel comfortable to engage and interact because you're going to be uncovering some things that will naturally make people uncomfortable. Yeah. You're going to uncover some things that will naturally challenge people to think differently and, mm-hmm. and, and critique themselves first. Yep. before projecting those those kind of notions onto other people. So those are the two areas, safe space, but then brave space. How do we move into that? And that takes facilitation and that really takes ability to curate a room and navigate with people and, and hold your, you know, to know what you're talking about, you know? Yeah. And, and raising, I think what you're touching on too is just raising everybody's awareness, right? And understanding. Um, and Tyler and I joke and we always say, get comfortable being uncomfortable today, right? <laughs> like. The, the levels of comfort, that's what drives change is when you are uncomfortable, you actually realize and, and you will drive uh, change. And, and I, I, was, I was thinking back to a, a African pro- proverb that I heard as you're talking, um, kind of about what the change is necessary to see in some of these areas. And it was uh, one where they talk about the water buffalo and the, and the cow and, and the water buffalo heads into the storm to get through the storm quicker and the cow tries to outrun the storm and actually stays in the storm much longer than the water buffalo itself. And that's kind of what you're saying is like, you can't outrun this as many businesses and many leaders are trying to outrun it. It's just impossible. It's, it's a, 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 the theory of odds. But also data would suggest that our, our, as a country, are becoming more diverse by the day. And, and the people that are in these decision-making roles are, are quickly becoming the minority within our organization or within our country. So it's interesting to hear you talk and, and, and getting comfortable with the uncomfortable um, because that's how we drive really uh, sustainable change as it relates to these things. Thanks so much for that, Mo. I really appreciate that. No problem. No problem. I could do this all day, Mo. All day, man. My pleasure. My pleasure. There's no stopwatch over here, dude. Uh, So so talk about getting uncomfortable. What's the most uncomfortable billboard you could possibly make that you could post up on 490? (laughs) What would Mo, if if someone was like, Mo, here's your billboard. You're trying to get me in trouble, aren't you? (laughs) I'm trying to promote this, dude. Let's, Let's make a change here. Um, you know, what, or just what, what message would you like to send out to people? Mo, if you, if literally, if you had a, a billboard on 390, 490, 90, I get them all, I got them all confused when I was up there, no clue which one's which anymore, but what would it say? What, what message would you like to convey to, to very, the cars passing by? That is very interesting. I would say I like numbers. I like using numbers to make, to tell a story, but it has to have anecdotes to it. Mm-hmm. I'll probably put, I have a, a picture here. Let me show you something that someone gave, <laughs> someone gave this to me as a gift. Okay. And this gift is a picture. See my all American stuff up there. Oh my God. See that picture? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a people, young kids from all different backgrounds. And it said all kinds of love. Hmm. Hmm. Right. This is a wood framing that someone it's like a burnt wood it's an artist that had a burnt burnt wood um that they used so i will put something with with children on it mm-hmm. it says you, you you know that really because i think all of us care about our, our young people our, our kids and family and that may be very very thought-provoking a little bit because 98 percent of us are the same did you know that 98% of who we are are the same? Only 2% of us, of what, who we are, is different. So our, our DNA is what, 99.8%? 90, even about. further, yeah. yeah but when you add all these other things. 1% variance, yeah. yeah. 
So ninety not only two percent of who we are. It could be culture, it could be geographic location. But do you know we've allowed the two percent of who we are to dominate the ninety-eight percent of who mm. we are as mm. human beings? That has led us to where we are today. Yeah. If we saw each other as humans with nine with that kind of connection with that kind of really fundamental mm -hmm. connection, we will treat each other just like brothers, like sisters, like we always talk about. We will treat people the way in which they would like to be treated, not how we would like to be treated. I always say this, it's a very subtle thing. Mm -hmm. If I treat people the way they like, I'd like to be treated, that's a problem because if I like to be punched yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or slapped sometimes or kicked as a soccer player, not everybody likes that, you know? Yeah. So you can't treat them the way you want to be treated. Yeah. You have to really focus and listen to them, how they would like you to refer to them, how they would like you to mm. connect with. Mm. And that a lot of times helps you kind of navigate some of these things, but with, with some band boundaries of, you know, knowing what those things are. So I would put something as that in front of the highway and say, slow down. Well, life is all about us, not me. And just, you know, we're in this together. Um, and we have to be focused that way. And this is coming from a Pan-African man who truly loves my, you know, a lot of the Pan-African leaders and what mm -hmm. they've done to get us to where we are. I don't know if I could get you now. Yeah. Right. That's that, awesome. is, that is powerful, powerful <laughs> stuff. I mean, uh, a couple of the things that you talked about is that the 2% variance or the difference is what, what determines. And I was just talking about this with a, a psychology a psychologist the other day. Um, and I, I mean, being aware of what, the environments in which we are, right? Um, I think we, we determine, we make um, these differences as how we uh, communicate who was caught in, in a robbery or who was caught in a, a drug deal or anything, but we drive the narrative and it's nothing against journalism and the media, but why do we need to, why can't we just be a male and a female? We're found doing this, right? I think about my son who's now 11 months old, soon to be one years old. And I think about the world that he could potentially grow up in with that, the idea that our youth have not been scorned yet, I think, right? And they really have that open heart and they, they don't really, they know there's differences, but those differences really does, don't not matter until we start to label those differences, right? And, and, and then separating the differences of, well, I'm on this side and you're on that side. Um, and I, I want to, I want to earth or I want a, a globe where my son just says, Hey, men and women, you know, and, and really get to the fundamental 98% of humanity, um, I think is what is, 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 would be a really cool place to be. Um, the core talk, of every yeah, yeah. Well, you talk about the use of data and I, and, and, and I use data quite frequently because I think there's a lot of assumptions made a lot of, um, guessing, right. I think that, um, you and I were just talking about the other day, and I think this would be helpful for the audience. And Tyler and I talk about it quite frequently. And I know you have some, some real um, burning passions as, or as it revolves around this question. But why in the United States is our first question, what do you do for a living? <laughs> it's, 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 it's one of those low-hanging, easy conversation starters that people love, but it's subtle. The subtle message is about positionality people want to size you up very quickly to see what you are in relation to them and so part of our workshop we actually remove titles from introductions completely we say don't tell us about your title we want to know what you do that's it and i can tell you how i cannot tell you how many times people struggle to explain what they do and you know, in the in in explanation, you find them talking about their title, and we're like, no, you got to go back. Mm -hmm. Tell us what you do, leaders, and all kinds of folks, because we're so conditioned to size up. We have to level ourselves up in the room to kind of just explain and show our positionality and and determine where where, where this can go very and goes very sour. Sour is determine whether that person is worthy. Mm -hmm of the space they're sharing, hmm. of the space we're sharing or they're sharing with us. And that to me is the, the slippery slope yeah. of all of the issues that when we interact with people, we start experiencing. Mm -hmm. When you remove the positionality out, you find yourself to kind of approach it from, this is what I do, 
this is what you do. We begin to hear when you when I hear what you're doing, I'm getting to see, oh, I do that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think of but I see CEO president, I'm like, I'm not a CEO president, so I can't relate to this person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what that does. When you start explaining what you do and how you're doing it, it was like, oh, I love data. You use yeah. data a lot. Yeah, we love yeah. data. Okay. Uh, we we have a commonality now. Now we have a common ground. Yeah. And research suggests that this is one of the reasons why workplaces are so problematic, you know, because we're all, it's all about positionality mm-hmm. and not really about the work that people do. There are so many people that you do job description analysis and trying to figure out what people do it. They don't even know what their employees really do. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You ask the, can you rewrite this job? Like, yeah, then you gotta have to talk to the employee yourself. But this same person is responsible for doing performance reviews. Mm-hmm. The same person that didn't know the details of the job and what it entails and what it could entail is responsible for reviewing this, camp, this, this employee. They're responsible for giving them their promotion, which sometimes is very important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have a young child at home. That performance review is really critical and kind of trusting somebody to do that without really giving them the tools and, and training and ability to actually do it effectively is what has gotten us here. So I, I think there is so many different layers, but the underpinning of that is I want to size you up. Mm-hmm. I, I want to, you know, I want to see where you are. Yeah. And then it di- dictates how the rest of that conversation is going to go. And, and that's why Tyler and I are so against this. Cause like, why, did, why should that matter? If you're really trying to understand who I am as a person. And, and some of the things that you shared in there, Mo is like, uh, we, we it, it was fascinating to see, right, in this great rejuvenation, reevaluation, renovation, whatever we're calling it, right? I think that that is what people finally realize, because I was one of them, where my worth was my career. Um, mm. And without my career, without that reward and recognition from my career, my employer, I felt lesser than, right? And that's where I started to realize my personal growth during the pandemic was, wait a minute, that is silly that I prioritize that as a priority on my personal scorecard, um, which no is fault hilarious. Of your right? own, though, to no fault. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a, that's we're a product of our environment yeah. in which we grow and in uh, a capitalist uh, society. I mean, that's that's really the, like you said, the levels. Right. And that's how we determine our the weight or the, the value that we get to bring to society is by our title. And it, it's, it is very sad. And, and I see it quite frequently with a lot of businesses and a lot of leaders too. And, and like you're saying, we focus more on the macro goals and the micro goals. And the macros are easier, right? Those outputs are easier than focusing on the necessary inputs or micro goals in order to get us closer. And I, I can't help but to revert back to what you mentioned about Juneteenth. That was a long, long process to get to that federal holiday level um, and we tend to forget those small steps necessary to get those big wins. Um, so I really, really appreciate you tying a, a nice bow on all of that um, I, because I, it is really I, important. Kevin, I didn't mean to cut you off. Can I add to that? Please. Peace. I think there is something that I, I want to add to this. You know, true leaders are people who plant trees under which they do not intend to, 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 to sit. Hmm. They plant trees whose shade they do not intend to enjoy. Hmm. They are planting seeds, they're initiating things, they're getting people to awaken people's consciousness and do things that they know for a fact may not even be in their lifetime, will not be realized in their lifetime, but they're doing the work anyway. So when we get these monumental wins, that's why I went back to that, to just give credence and credit to those who have worked so hard to get it here. And wherever they are in the universe, they've probably long gone, they will know that that seed they planted, that energy they had, that sacrifices, the sacrifices they made was not for naught. It's mm-hmm. accumulated into something meaningful. It's gotten us to even further this, this union and all of this vision that was had and was espoused. And, and our humanity is get is gotten better as a result of their vision and their sacrifice and their energy. Because mm-hmm. I think that's what is missing. So what we do today is how do we pick up the baton and move that dial? What are we doing? So when we do the relay, it's as smooth and as easy as possible. It's not the finisher. You're not going to be the finisher. But do you initiate? Do you take the initiative today? If it's uncomfortable, to talk about it, ask yourself why. Why is it so uncomfortable to broach this topic? Why is it so uncomfortable to discuss this? Mm-hmm. You know, 
what are some of the notions that I have that I have to undo, unlearn in order to embrace this thing? And, and that's where growth happened. That's where growth and learning happens. And I, I wanted to say this too. I know a lot of times we say discomfort. I, I was reminded by a psychiatrist that I worked with. He's like, Muhammad, you know, I'd like to say, you know, we also have to remember based on what you were saying about, I think this is important that you brought this up, that it's not always, we don't always have to be uncomfortable to grow, to learn. Mm -hmm. It's easy to actually want, if you really truly are intentional about learning, you could do it. Mm -hmm. It's our stubbornness that makes mm -hmm. us uncomfortable so that we will have to learn the hard, hard way. Does that make sense? Yep. Like, it's really easy to just learn it, you know? <laughs> you don't have to really make it as, but human beings, amygdala regulating our mm -hmm. reaction, quick flight or flight, you know, safety. Mm -hmm. What's, we always have to regulate and figure it. And then when we, if we don't have the nudge, which is why a lot of our roles is so important in what we do. We don't have somebody nudging you to say, yeah, this is, this is, this is, this is okay. Don't, don't fly. Don't, mm -hmm. don't, don't go there. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you don't need it. Having them deconstruct what is happening and then making the, that move quickly, right? And the fear. I used to be in risk management, like paychecks. Uh, you know, I work for uh, in credit risk, and there are so many different areas. And one thing that I remember uh, one of the leaders talking about is risk opportunity, <laughs> where you see risk. A lot of folks think everything is risk, risk, but there are certain things that that analysis of that risk could actually present an opportunity for growth for the business, for growth for the company, for, and when you do it, look at it, you know, DEI historically has been seen as a compliance issue in this country. Mm -hmm. Hence know, the affirmative action, yeah. <laughs> are we meeting the compliance? Are we doing all of this? And then it took a lot of push to say, you actually doing this wrong. There's yeah. research and statistics that shows that the product you're trying to sell this community doesn't care for it. Mm -hmm. That's why it's not making, because you didn't have anybody from the community on the, on the focus group that you had mm -hmm. to talk about what they would use it for. Mm -hmm. So hence, nobody's using it where you're mm -hmm. selling it. So a lot of companies take a step back and say, hmm, maybe we're missing this thing that we used to see it as a risk, this idea of diversifying our teams and our workplace is actually a benefit to us. If we have people from different demographics, from different backgrounds, giving input and insight into how we could develop things better, services and products and everything, how we could do it better is going to make us better eventually. Yeah. And so why are you seeing all this influx of equity and inclusion? And that? because they're now the conversation is shifting mm -hmm. from this being a compliance into a business excellence, you know, perform, you know, all of those pieces and operational excellence uh, pieces uh, helps us actually be better stewards of each other. So I just wanted to say all those things just to add to my statement because it was very short. <laughs> no, I know a lot of these things. <laughs> That's awesome, though. Like, I, again, I could do this all day with you, man. I, I, I know you have a hard stop at like, what, three this afternoon. We, we go till then. Yeah. <laughs> and no, I was, I was, I, I've been, I used to write on this notepad, but I went to a training last week. So I'm big on this one note thing now, dude. And I got about three pages of you over here oh, from what you, oh, no. yeah i just can't stop stop typing man um you know you're talking about removing the titles you know and not not asking people what they do for a living but you know i think you know that's why i asked you how do you wake up in the morning Mel? where the heck did you get that energy from that you have with me and kevin right now that's what like i think we're that we need to be more in tune with and and, and learning about people you know not what you do how are you feeling like that right now? You know, that's where that that's where the magic is, I think. I don't care what you do. If you got a smile on your face and it's real and you, you feel that energy, you know, that's what I'm about. But I, I and I hate to be the bear of bad news today, Mo, but I wanted to ask you, man, about failure, right? Um, you know, and, and I also wanted to touch on, I love it that you said you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a grind anymore to be uncomfortable all the time. I think that's like 1990s motivation right there. You know, if you're not working at 4 a.m., it's like, you know, and my <laughs> wife always reels me in. She's like, dude, you don't have to do it that way. And I'm like, okay, okay. You know, I, I can enjoy breathing. Sweet. Yes. Um, but I was going to ask you, you know, um, can you share with us one of your biggest failures and how you learn from it? Wow. Can I rephrase? Can yeah, I start absolutely. with rethinking that? Because that's something I've worked on. 
is it truly failure mm-hmm. if you have a, a growth and and improvement mindset so 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 that that's because i think a lot of times when we say failure it's by some standard mm-hmm. that has been set out there by someone that this is perceived as mm-hmm. failure but if you're someone who's done your work or is doing your work and understand where you are and what you're doing and how you're navigating you don't see it as failure at all to me is it's it's a it's a it's a it's a opportunity to improve, to see what I need to improve on, how I need to improve on something. So there are many, many ways. I, I had a restaurant in Rochester, uh, a Ghanaian restaurant called the Quaba Restaurant. Um, we started off and doing really well in college town. We had wonderful presence and all of that stuff. And then we had to close. So I shut down. It was a huge you know, moment. But I took a step back and I was like, you know what? this is really not failure mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. I always, I always had this short-term vision for it and go for it. And then a long-term go for it. But it really, when you take a step back and you realize I still get emails and, and messages of folks asking, when are we going to reopen? The pandemic oh. is done now. Are you going to reopen? Are you going to reopen? So for me, it's like, what do you put your energy in? It's a redirection. You know, there's a quote, uh, a poem that I use. It's called, Don't You Quit. If you ever get a chance, take a look at it if you've never seen uh-huh. it. It's called, Don't You Quit. Yeah, it's, it's one of the favorite things. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, right? When the debts are, you know, you read it. You, you will love, you know, um, the, the essence of Don't You Quit. And, and I'll, I'll pull it up for my things here and I'll share some things with you. Uh, I think it's something that is very very important um and and that's something that i've used my dad used to have this hanging in our in our house and i thought it was you know really really great and it helped me throughout college through high school college and i used to you know when things go wrong as they sometimes will when the road you're trudging seems all uphill when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile but you have to sigh right when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. This is something I find, you know, these are some of the little things that will navigate around. But if you perceive it to be failure, then it's going to be failure. And if you don't have the tools to re, re- bounce back, mm-hmm. then you probably get stuck there. Mm-hmm. So first is the framing, right? our mind, mindset and our framing of it. What is this? Is this a learning opportunity for growth, mm-hmm. right? You know, Rabbi, uh, you know, Swarovski talks about times of growth are times for, uh, times of distress are opportunities for growth. When you use adversity properly, you're actually conditioned to grow and make change and make. So how do you look at it? So Tyler, that's where I will go first, but that's one experience that I want to use to kind of just give you a sense. And in business, you get a contract, you get a partnership, you start it and you realize, oh, this is not the right, because people... When they're looking for something, you know, all of us, mm-hmm. and what we're, we're working so far on is that knowing when to say no mm-hmm. to things that do not align with where we are, what we're doing. And, and I'm working on that one right there. I know I, I, I'm a people it's picker, hard. you know, when it's you're in the people hard. picture, it's very, very hard to, to put yourself hard. first, I think, sometimes, too. Exactly. And, and for me, I think this work for me is even more important because other people, we're talking about inclusion here. Right. Mm-hmm. We're talking about equity. Folks have been traumatized. Folks, mm-hmm. are, folks are going through some really difficult. If an organization is not ready to do the work, it's mm-hmm. incumbent upon me to be able to communicate it to them. Yeah. But I can't if you lie to me on your questionnaire that we send out. Yeah. I can't if you communicate with me and say you're ready. Mm-hmm. And I assume based on some feedback that you're ready and we get in there and you really truly aren't. Mm-hmm. So it's incumbent. I'm doing that, taking a step back as a firm. We're looking at how we make intentional and meaningful partnerships mm-hmm. is becoming more and more critical for us mm-hmm. from the get-go. You don't see us doing 100 searches mm-hmm. because of this specific reason. I'm not going to bring another person into the process of traumatized mm-hmm. to go through this kind of painful experience. Mm-hmm. I'm trying my best. And as a firm, we're working uh, intentionally to make sure that we mitigate and minimize those kinds of things as possible. So yeah. framing it, Tyler, looking at it from a different vantage point, 
using that to fuel your day. That's what fuels the day, you know? Yeah. And you know that. that it's not really failure. It's just an opportunity to get better and learn more and do better. Then you embrace it with a smile. You walk away with a smile. You say no with a smile, with respect and reverence mm -hmm. uh, for everything that is happening. I think, I think having the support system, though, like you said, we're, we're talking about trauma-informed leadership, trauma-informed culture. You know, you have to have that environment where it's okay to fail, right? And that's, that's the missing piece to all of this is that you have to be comfortable with failure and allow people, whatever stage that they're at in their career or their life, that you have the support necessary. And what's funny is a lot of that comes from the diversity because you're bringing in multiple perspectives, multiple life's experiences, all these different things. And it's a concept that businesses clearly know because if we looked at their stock portfolio of where they're investing, exactly. it's a diversified stock portfolio because you diversify your risk. You get a lot of different things in there and understand collectively it work, work, you're working closer to that goal. Um, and I love what you said. It's like, it's really how we frame it, right? And, and, but it's important that you, you're not going to constantly be uncomfortable and constantly growing. And that was the previous mindset. And I think we talked about it within the first five minutes. How are we rejuvenating ourselves after times of growth to continue to reevaluate and identify future ways to continue to grow as well and get uncomfortable? I, I, today's conversation has been fascinating for myself, Mo. And I know Tyler is, is getting all giddy over there. He has, yeah. uh, what, three pages in one note. I got uh, 15 on, in, in uh, Kevin oh, font oh, here, Kevin well, size font um, of all these different things of what we're talking about today. But this is real, right? This, um, how we choose to see things um, and just understanding that we all see things differently, but gaining those multiple perspectives is where the, the, the rubber meets the road. Um, and really, that's, that leads to the innovation, that leads to uh, the growth, the, a lot of the other things that the business wants, but they're just overlooking these smaller, granular, smaller wins to get to those bigger goals. Um, anything you want to share to the audience in closing? Hmm. Yeah, I, I just want to say thank you. You know, this, these conversations are essential because it's one thing to talk business all the time and kind of just work work and it's another to take time out <laughs> no pun intended yeah pun intended, pun intended. <laughs> you know, it's i'm just plugging it in here you know it's really good and to take time out and say what am i doing to contribute you know and so just very intentionally living intentionally mm -hmm. uh, living your best and authentic self mm -hmm. I think is something that I would say, because you, you touched on the pandemic, what it did for you. I know a lot of people have been saying and sharing about that. You know, Tyler, you talk about moving and all of that. What led, makes us make decisions? What leads us to make decisions? A lot of times it's because of pressure. It's because of all kinds of things. But are you living intentionally? So when you do make that move, you feel comfortable. You are, you, you know, in a sense that you know it's the right step. Um, that you know the discomfort is comfortable yeah on the other side of every discomfort is comfort the challenge is we don't want to be lackadaisical you don't want to be you don't want to be staying there you don't want to stay in that because every change has its own new layer of challenges that you have to conquer every change has its own layer that you have to to kind of evolve into so thinking of everything that we do intentionally as best as we can and remembering that the intentions are different than the impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thank you. And thank you for being such a, such a, a, a well-respected force here in Rochester and a, a true leader fighting to make these differences every day. And, and the last, I guess, part in, in closing is just be that all, your authentic self, something time and time again, something again, back to my people pleasing. I was not always my authentic self, but the guy to my right and probably your right or your left, Tyler White, um, <laughs> he was the one that told me it was okay to be my authentic self, you know, and that's really what, what people want. They don't want you to act. They don't want you to pretend to be something that they, you know, they want you to be. Um, and that has helped significantly within my personal growth and my journey um, that it's okay to be your authentic self. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's better for everybody in, at, the, at the end of the day. So Mo, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. Thank you for being a special guest on this show with us. 
Um, and thank you for sharing your, your insights and, and, and really uh, how we can all start to, to kind of work towards this, this common goal that we have of inclusion, this sense of belonging, this feeling, an emotion that really at the end of the day will reduce a lot of those other stressors within our life and make work less of our, our life itself, um, but more of a part of it and a blend um, where we also have a reprioritization of what's most important to us, like friends, family, and things like that. So thank you, Mo, for being a part of the show. Much obliged. Thank you both. Uh, anytime, just call me. We'll be <laughs> uh, I, I, I love the work you do, and I really appreciate the fact that you're pushing and nudging people in the right direction and all of us kind of think critically about what we're doing. And, and it's humbling, but it's also uh, hopeful uh, of that way in which we're interrupting this uh, sense of work and work environment, space and leadership. I think there's more to be said about, you know, all of these things, but any step in the right direction is always to be commended. So thank you so much for all that you're doing. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Mo. All right. <laughs>